Good evening and welcome to the All Souls Forum. Today's presentation is entitled Living with Alzheimer's and is presented by Kelly Loeb. There were some technical problems in the last few minutes of this recording. We apologize for the diminished audio quality. Morning, everyone. Um, my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2018. As his caregiver needs increased, I found my way to Kelly Loeb at the KUADRC, which is the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Kelly's weekly webinars have provided information about the science of Alzheimer's disease, current KUADRC research studies, and other topics related to brain health and aging. My personal favorite webinar shared volunteer experiences I was later able to do along with my father. Kelly brings more than 20 years of personal and professional experience to those of us seeking information about Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And she keeps us smiling while she does it. <laughs> so welcome, Kelly Loeb. All right. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, everybody here, all the souls here. Uh, I hope you all will find something meaningful and useful today. Uh, that is my plan. And uh, we are going to take ourselves what I think uh, is a fantastic voyage. So everybody all aboard, I'll be your captain for the day. And we'll talk a bit about what dementia is, what dementia is not, what Alzheimer's disease is, what normal aging is, and whatever else we might come up with. Uh, I'm your captain. I'm Kelly G. I am a social worker by education, and I also had both of my grandmothers diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and it was my very great honor to participate in their care. And every time I share information with somebody about this disease, I do it uh, in honor and in memory of them and so many who I have known who have had Alzheimer's disease and their family and professional caregivers. So we're going to go to our first stop. This is where you get on board. So some questions I have for you that I will actually answer. You don't have to do anything. What is normal aging? What is dementia? And what is the difference? And hopefully you're smart enough to realize that if I'm asking what the difference is between normal aging and dementia, you'll catch on that normal aging and dementia are not the same, okay? It is not normal to have dementia simply because you have another candle on your birthday cake, all right? Normal aging does not inevitably mean dementia, Alzheimer's disease, uh, or anything else like that. And we'll talk more about that, okay? So what is normal aging? Uh, having troubles thinking of a name in a very unscientific survey, and you will find out why in just a moment, 83% of people who were old said that they had experienced having trouble thinking of a name. Now, for the benefit of anybody that's listening later uh, and for the privacy of our audience today, I won't actually ask anybody to disclose whether this has happened to you, but I will disclose that yes. I mean, having trouble thinking of a name is part of being human. And so when I said this study was unscientific, 83% of people admitted to it. The other 17% of people were not telling the truth. We forgot that they didn't remember, okay? Uh, because that's, that's pretty standard. And guess what? You don't have to be old to do it. Uh, does anybody in the room, by the way, know 
how old you are to be officially an older adult? Anybody know what the magic number is? Anybody want to admit it? <laughs> Movie just keeps moving up. So it's 15 years older than you currently are, right? I think that's fair. The federal government has designated that an older American, anyway, is 60. Six zero. That brings joy to some of you and pain to some of you. <laughs> so at 60, you're officially old, which generally is a good thing because that means you can qualify for lots of benefits, programs, services, discounts. Who doesn't want a discount? I would take it now if they would let me. Okay. But for the purposes of our conversation, old is relative and old is 60 or more. That being said, um, your age alone does not determine whether you will have dementia, uh, including Alzheimer's disease or another type. Okay. Um, so as we get older, our library gets bigger. As we reach whatever age we're going to reach, we have more things to remember. There's more to keep track of. And so it's not surprising that we have problem with something as relatively simple as remembering a name. And in fact, these days, we have so much technology that we don't have to remember things the way that we used to. You don't have to know anybody's phone number anymore or their address or how to get to their house or anything that fits in your smartphone of choice. And so it's not surprising that um, the way our brains adapt to that kind of technology is changing. Next point, misplacing items around the house. Today, when I leave and go home and I'm looking for something, this will happen. 53%, I believe, is criminally low. Again, all of us do that at some point. Simply because that happens is not necessarily a warning sign of anything other than that you are human and you have a brain. And that is working the way that we might expect it to, okay? Um, and so we say things like, oh, I should put a tracker on my keys. There's a whole industry out there now, right? You can buy little doodads to attach to things, and when you can't find them, you can track them down. I think this is actually a pretty clever response to a pretty normal kind of forgetfulness. Okay, and then correlated with all of this, walking into rooms and forget. Renee has already raised her hand. <laughs> walking into rooms and forgetting why you walked in there. It was because you misplaced that item. You went into the room to find the thing you lost. Um, that's why 41%, I think people are just feeling vain if they're not admitting to this kind of thing, <laughs> excuse me, that does in fact happens to all of us. So you'll notice on the top of the slide, it says, what is normal aging? All of these things are normal. From the time we can remember something to the end of our lives, it is normal to do all of these things and even more very common kinds of things that certainly will sound familiar to at least 41%, maybe as many as 83%, and truly, 100% of all of us. Okay. We also, as we get older, have more difficulties multitasking and difficulties paying attention. We have all of us lived through a very strange four-year period since 2020 when the way we move through the world is just different. And we have all had to adjust our coping strategies. And I say pat yourselves on the back um, because you made it through that time that was unprecedented. Nobody could have expected. Our brains were not prepared for. And now we are in what a lot of people are calling a new normal, okay? All right, so let's go on to our next 
screen again what is normal aging and here's where we have where we have some photos i apologize to the radio listeners that you don't get to see these cool photos but i'll do my best to explain what is happening oh bless you thank you okay so i'm going to just pull up whoops went too fast okay so for those of you in the room who can see the pictures we've got six boxes of an mri of a brain okay and at the top left you'll see it says mta which stands for mild atrophy, uh, or also known as normal aging. So your brain, you know, you've had your brain ever since you got here. And over time, it has learned lots of things. It's had lots of experiences. Um, and when you reach 60 or 48 or 80 or whatever age you're going to reach, there's a lot of stuff that has going on, uh, been going on. And I have one of those cool page a day calendars that tells you fun facts. And the fun fact for today, I should have brought it with me so you know I was telling the truth, is our brain is something like 60% fat. Did anybody know that? Is that a thing people know? I did not know that. I'm kind of embarrassed considering I work for the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. I didn't know that. Our brains are mostly fat, um, which is interesting to me um, and kind of powerful. And I think I might have to read up a little bit more on that. Um, but anyway, so we have some images of a brain. The one at the top left says zero. This is what we would describe as a normal, maybe even healthy brain. Nothing in particular that is outside of a normal aging experience is happening in this brain. If you look across at the photos as you go from one, two, three, and four, um, a keen eye would notice that this brain is changing. It's experiencing some atrophy. The spaces um, in the image are getting bigger because brain material is decreasing, which happens over time to all of us and happens to people who are experiencing abnormal aging or dementia or Alzheimer's disease. So uh, depending on how well you can see these images, you'll notice that I notice the difference between uh, for example, number two and number four, you'll notice that those spaces in the brain are getting larger, and those are hallmarks of an abnormal aging process, most likely due to dementia of the Alzheimer's type, okay? Um, the brain that's labeled zero is probably 65 or 70 years old, um, and the one that's number four, um, you know, people have asked me whether this is the same person's brain, and I always have to say, I don't know. So I don't know, but... Um, Regardless, the one that's marked number four is more advanced atrophy, um, most likely someone who is 80 years old. Same person. I don't know. I need to find out before I present this slide again. Um, but hopefully it's somewhat clear to you um, that there is a difference here. And this is part of the biological process that happens in the brain of someone who has dementia, not the brain of someone who is 78 and living their best life. Okay. So let's see. So since I've talked a bit about what's normal aging, let's talk about what might be not normal aging. Um, and one thing is difficulty with everyday tasks. So if you're having trouble keeping track of your bills, following a recipe, finishing tasks that you might have done with ease prior, uh, troubles with things like electronics, nobody tell anybody else that I said, does this remote do what I wanted to do? <laughs> um, and frequently forgetting things. Now, some of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you might be thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. This sounds familiar. What in the world? What I want you to, to keep in mind is that 
this some of these things can sound familiar and you are norm, normally aging. When one or probably more of these things happen and they're interfering with your safety, your independence, your dignity, your quality of life, that's when you want to pay attention. If you've always been someone who just doesn't really do well with remembering to pay your bills or forgetting appointments. And again, if you have a smartphone, you don't really have to remember a lot of things. It will just beep and bloop and, you know, buzz at you if you need to go and do something. But if that is something that is not normal for you and it's happening with frequency and it's happening to to be a bit dramatic here and it's endangering you, like you're making something for dinner and you forget about it and your kitchen is aflame, this is something to pay attention to. And when I say you, I mean you, and I mean your loved one, I mean your neighbor, your relative, anybody in your sphere, um, you'll want to pay attention. It's when these kinds of things become more challenging for a person, um, and that is unusual for them. If it's usual for them, you still want to pay attention. Um, but uh, what you want to keep in mind is whether this is a consistent problem or an inconsistent problem. And if it's inconsistent with the person you know, then you want to pay more attention to what is happening. Repetition, telling the same story, repeating questions. Again, the context around that is, are you aware that you are telling the same story? I tell the same story about Alzheimer's disease to every group I talk to. Um, so what does that mean for me? Either it means I've gotten really good at this and I don't even need a script anymore or dot, 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 something else. I'm hopeful that it just means this is literally my job to tell the same story every time I go out. Um, but if it's the repetition of something that a person does not seem to be aware of, if it's repetition without good reason and good reason is very variable, then that's something else to pay attention to. Communication problems, having trouble jumping in and following conversations to those of you who walked in after I started. Hopefully you're catching on here pretty quick. If you're wondering what the heck is going on, let's talk privately after I'm done today. Um, keep in mind that hearing loss is absolutely mistaken for Alzheimer's disease a lot of the time. Hearing loss is correlated with advancing age. Uh, lots of times people are having trouble joining conversations and keeping track. And we think, oh no, she's 89. What did you expect? Don't say that. Okay. Hearing tests is often first intervention that we would suggest. Don't jump to the conclusion of this is Alzheimer's disease when really this is, I didn't hear what you said. So that's why I didn't remember it. And we go speak with a physician, we speak with an audiologist, we get a hearing aid. We don't get the hearing aid that's advertised on the back of the magazine. We get the hearing aid that a clinician has evaluated us for and said, this is the right one for you. Same with vision loss. Vision loss can also contribute to um, not being able to communicate and participate. I remember when I was a young student before I knew that I wanted to be a, a social worker and do Alzheimer's uh, stuff, I was in some terrible science class like organic chemistry or something awful that no one likes except for the people that really like it. And um, I didn't wear glasses then. I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old and I was having trouble seeing the board even on the front row. And I was used to doing really well in school and I struggled in that class because I couldn't see the board. Um, and so it didn't make sense to me a lot of what the teacher was saying. And do you know, I did not get a pair of glasses until I was 29. 
don't do that. Um, uh, but I bet, I mean, I'm not saying that that's the reason I'm not some kind of great scientist now, but I'm sure it contributed. Okay. Uh, so keep in mind that vision changes and those are also normal for aging, um, can make a difference. Um, I have learned in my career working with older adults that cataracts are a when proposition, not an if everybody will get cataracts as they get older. And that can be contributing to trouble with communication and participating in daily life that we might jump to the conclusion is Alzheimer's disease, but it really is changes in vision and hearing. Um, abruptly stopping mid-thought can be something we want to pay attention to. The wheels might not be turning as quickly in the brain. Uh, if it happens once or twice, this is not necessarily cause for alarm. If it is happening with some regularity um, and you're noticing but the other person isn't noticing, pay attention to that. Um, and lots of times as a defense, as a coping strategy, we might recognize that this is happening. I can't remember what I was going to say. And so, oh, John, you know what I mean. You, you go ahead and you tell them. Or we're at a restaurant and, oh, you just order something or I'll have the same thing he's having. That kind of thing um, can be a response from someone who is struggling to find the right word and to participate in the conversation. So when we see these kinds of things, we want to pay attention. I have had in the past a sheet that I've carried around with me and I've put up on the screen that says something like the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's disease and it includes all these things. And I pass it out to people and they stop listening to me when I talk because they go through these 10 warning signs and I can see them literally checking off number three, number four, number nine. Um, and so um, it's not that I don't find it useful, but um, having one or more warning signs of Alzheimer's disease is not a diagnosis. It is a warning to talk to a physician, talk to your primary care physician. If you are a Medicare beneficiary, you are entitled to an annual wellness visit yearly, and Medicare requires your physician to have a conversation with you about memory loss. Uh, does that always happen? No one answer that. Uh, no, it doesn't always happen, but you'll have to be an advocate for yourself and speak up every year when you see your physician. You don't have to wait for your wellness exam. If you're at the doctor, you are concerned about your memory or your loved ones, please speak up uh, because that's one of the first interventions we suggest besides the hearing test and the glasses um, for considering whether uh, something is happening in terms of forgetfulness with the brain. Okay, I said that part, right? Is this a consistent problem or an inconsistent one? If it's new behavior, it's probably more urgent to address. If it's behavior that's kind of continued for as long as you've known the person, uh, still watch out for it, okay? And remember, if it's endangering, if it's, you know, jeopardizing somebody's safety or quality of life, we really want to pay extra attention to it. All right. Um, some more things. Getting lost. Um, the part of our brain that, you know, guides us, I'm going to walk this way, I'm going to walk that way, I'm going to turn north, I'm going to... I'm going to make a U-turn. All of those things um, that kind of are like our internal GPS um, get disrupted in the part of the brain that controls our memory and our function. Um, if you've always been a person that says, don't tell me north or south, tell me left or right, or don't tell me left or right, just tell me something else, um, that may be a more subtle change for you than someone else. Um, so pay attention to sort of your internal compass about where am I going, what am I doing? Um, visual spatial difficulties, again, changes in our vision and our sense of place and where am I, um, can also contribute to 
um, what we might consider abnormal aging and cause for concern. Uh, changes in personality are very common. Um, if someone is aging in a way that we we don't expect and that feels difficult. Uh, when we think about Alzheimer's disease, probably most of us think about, oh, well, that's where people can't remember things. That's memory loss. And it absolutely is. But those of you who might have had some experience being caregivers will say that memory loss is probably the least of it on some of our harder days. I'm not so worried that grandma doesn't remember something. I'm worried that grandma is cursing at me and throwing things at me. And she's different. She's not that nice lady anymore because the part of our brain, the frontal and the temporal lobe, so the front and the sides of our brain are the parts of our brains where judgment, courtesy, behavior, personality live. Um, and when the brain is experiencing dementia like Alzheimer's or another kind, um, people do not have control the way they did over how they might have behaved. It is almost always not intentional. Grandma is not trying to give you a hard time. Both of my grandmothers were, you know, college-educated, church ladies, baked cookies, you know, the typical grandma. Uh, and as they both got dementia, oh boy, did we see a different side. Um, it was kind of entertaining at times. Um, it was absolutely terrifying at other times. Um, and it was only because I had all of this knowledge that I was able to get through it a little bit easier um, than your average person. Um, so lots of the change in personality we'll see is withdrawal. So depression becomes very common. Depression might be a spur for Alzheimer's disease or Alzheimer's disease might be a spur for depression, but they are pretty inextricably linked. That being said, Alzheimer's disease is a physiological problem. It's not a I don't want to say it's not a mental health issue because, of course, it is a mental health issue, but it is a diagnosis just like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, et cetera. It's not just, well, grandma's being mean now and and uh, she's going to lash out at us. I mean, all of that is wrapped up in a brain that is changing, as you will have noted from those photos. Um, and then orientation, losing track of days, time, and place. I think all of us that live through the pandemic get a little bit of grace for not knowing what day it is sometimes because they did all kind of run together at some point. Um, but if a person is really having trouble staying oriented to what's current and what's present, that's not normal aging. That's something you want to be paying attention to. Okay, and then judgment problems. That same part of the brain, front and side lobes of the brain, um, that help us make decisions um, about um, financial stuff, you know, giving all my money away to the person that calls on the phone and says, Grandma, it's me, I'm in prison. Oh, and Grandma, you know, Grandmas are the best. Of course I will bail you out and I won't tell your mom. And then it turns out that that wasn't a true thing that's happened. Um, so people are vulnerable when they don't have the capacity to make good judgment anymore because of an abnormal aging process. All right. Okay, so here's some, a few other things I want to make sure that you know. People can have these warning signs, and it could be that it's dementia of the Alzheimer's type. And by the way, you all have maybe caught on that I'm using the words dementia and Alzheimer's disease pretty interchangeably. Uh, if you didn't notice that, I'm telling you that. I've used those words pretty interchangeably. But what you should know is that there are more than 70 seven zero different kinds of dementia. Uh, Alzheimer's is the most common one. When we say someone has dementia, seven out of 10 times we are saying they have dementia of the Alzheimer's type. 
Other kinds of dementia you have no doubt heard of are Parkinson's disease, Lewy body dementia, which is what Robin Williams had, frontotemporal dementia, again, those two very specific uh, lobes of the brain. Uh, that's what Bruce Willis has. Uh, you may have also heard of vascular dementia, which is dementia related to a stroke. Um, and a stroke is kind of like a, all you physicians don't yell at me, but it's kind of like a heart attack in the brain. Okay. That's a little dramatic maybe, but it's an attack in the brain and the brain cannot function the way that we expect it to. Um, vascular dementia um, is correlated with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, cardiac issues. Um, can look very similar to Alzheimer's disease, can look different in some ways. We are learning uh, over the last generation. When I was 25 and I first started learning about Alzheimer's disease, we tended to think that dementia was in silos, like you had Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or vascular dementia. Now, a generation later, we know that mixed dementia is very common. People can have Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia and Parkinson's disease, and, and, and. Uh, so we're learning more and more about what is, oh, it doesn't say abnormal aging anymore, but abnormal aging and what is part of a dementing process, okay? Uh, so when I say dementia, I usually mean Alzheimer's disease, but I might mean something else. Every single person who has Alzheimer's disease has dementia, full stop. But not every single person who has dementia has Alzheimer's, okay? They might have one of the other kinds, or they might have a combination. Um, so all that being said, um, people can have the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. And what that pathology looks like are plaques and tangles. Just like you can get plaque in your blood vessels and even plaque on your teeth, your brain, uh, as it develops one of the dementias, might or will develop what we call amyloid and tau plaques, which essentially at the, ba the most basic level means the brain can't do what it's supposed to. It can't communicate. Brain cells can't tell us to remember, to eat, to swallow, to dance, to whatever we do without even thinking about it. Those plaques are interfering with the brain's ability to do that. We do not have the technology at this point to open up your brain and brush away the plaques to borrow a skill from the dental professionals. We don't do that. We can, in some cases, see those plaques on imaging like MRIs, CAT scans, PET scans. Um, we have two new medications. This is revolutionary. In 2023, two new medications emerged um, that, unlike the other medications we've had for Alzheimer's for 20 years, um, that work on symptoms and behavior, like forgetfulness and personality change, we have two new medications as of 2023 that work on the biology of the disease, that work on the plaques and the tangles and the biomarkers of the brain. This is great because it's different. It's pushing us closer to figuring out that cure. So we're very excited about that. Um, having the plaques and tangles doesn't necessarily mean someone will have dementia uh, or Alzheimer's disease that progresses to um, a full spectrum of the disease. People, some people can have some of that mild atrophy that we saw on the earlier slides and still be fairly capable of going about their everyday lives. But when we see those plaques and tangles, we need to act and figure out some next steps. Um, a question that I'm actually surprised you all are a very, um, I don't know what word to use, but something good, a very committed audience. Thank you. Usually by this point, someone has said, okay, okay, okay. 
what can I do to not get this? I don't care about all that other stuff. So if you're sitting there patiently waiting for me to quit going on about the other stuff, I will tell you that we do have some fairly, uh, we think, um, and when I say we, I mean the people that do the research actually, um, uh, useful thoughts about what can I do specifically to prevent, delay, avoid having this diagnosis. Um, and so we have to think about humans and how they behave and what they are most likely to do. Uh, and the questions, again, by now someone has said, look, what can I eat so I don't get Alzheimer's disease? That's what you really want to know. Um, so lots of research focuses on diet and nutrition. Um, and the thought is that um, eating a diet that is rich in green leafy vegetables like kale, the kale association of the world has got some really good PR people because kale has really just explained. Remember knowing about kale 20 years ago. I mean, I know it existed, but I remember I probably would have been like, well, I don't want to eat that. And now I find kale very delicious and eat it quite a bit. And it turns out it's good for your brain. Kale, spinach, broccoli, um, anything that's green and pretty and grows out of the ground or on a tree. I'm not a farmer, but anyway, whatever, however it comes to you, um, is good for your brain. Also avocados, uh, are thought to be helpful because of the, uh, healthy fats that are in avocados. I remember back on the first slide, it said, did you forget something today or whatever? I meant to bring some flyers to you all today about a study we have coming up that is specifically, uh, focused on eating avocados. And I completely forgot. Uh, but I can still tell you about it. Eating avocados, we think, is got to be great for your brain. A study we have coming up that we're recruiting for now is talking about or is asking people to eat one avocado a day for 12 weeks. Um, so half the study group will do that. The other half of the study group will eat just what they regularly eat. They don't change their diet at all. And at the end of the 12 weeks and over the 12 weeks, we'll do some analysis, some evaluation, some tests and see which group brain has better brain health. Now, the avocado industry would like us to find that, of course, the avocado group wins. We think that's probably what's going to happen, but it might not. Uh, it might be the same. It might be that the regular diet people are the winners. We don't know yet, but it's an interesting concept to think about uh, and just one of many kind of research studies that um, clinicians have done all over the world um, and have found out fruits and vegetables um, salmon is also very good for the brain. Cod is good for the brain. Um, blueberries, uh, dark chocolate, and red wine. All of those things have been shown to be good for your brain. So you have your, your menu for your dinner this evening. Um, besides uh, diet and nutrition, um, maybe somewhat fewer people ask, how many miles should I walk? <laughs> to not get Alzheimer's disease, but anything that improves your, your cardio respiratory fitness. So anything that gets your heart rate up uh, for a while, not just like for a few minutes, like my Fitbit right now says that my heart rate is, oh, I can't tell, but it's higher than normal, I bet, because I'm excited. Um, oh, it's about 82. And my resting heart rate is usually about 72. So see, see, stand up in front of a group and tell them something exciting and new, and you too can be in good cardiorespiratory fitness. So exercise. You don't have to run a marathon, um, but do something that gets you up and moving. Getting enough sleep is important. Sleep hygiene matters to our brain health. 
Um, we talked about diet and then being socially engaged. So congratulations, even though I'm the one running my mouth today, you are experiencing some social engagement by being here this morning, by listening on the radio later this week, by getting out of your house or getting out of just your comfort zone and doing something new. All of those things are thought to be useful. I mean, they can't hurt. Might you get Alzheimer's disease anyway? Yes, and I'm sorry, but um, try it anyway and notice if your quality of life at least doesn't improve. Okay. Um, all right. So I have no idea how much time has passed. All of it has passed. Imagine that. I am shocked, completely shocked that we are at the end of our time and I did not get to everything I brought. But I will transition here and say that if you thought, well, that was some great information or that was awful information and I want to know more, I brought some materials over on the table. Um, the way that I got here, I think, is because Renee is one of our loyal weekly webinar participants. When I, if, whenever I see her name on the people watching on Zoom, I'm just so happy because um, I think, well, there's at least one person who thinks I might be doing okay. Um, but every Thursday at two o'clock, I host a webinar and Renee mentioned that. Um, and we always talk about brain health. And uh, last Thursday, we talked about the avocado study, which is why I should have remembered to bring the flyers and didn't. Uh, this coming Thursday, we are talking about a guidebook we have that's called the Mood and Behavior Guide. Um, and it's kind of like, kind of like, do y'all remember those choose your own adventure books where it says, if you would like to jump off a cliff, turn to page 17. If you would like to swim in a river, turn to page 50. It's kind of like that. I mean, it's not as cool as that. Let me just tell you the truth. But it does say like, if your loved one is experiencing, um, combative behavior and it's four in the afternoon, they might have sundowner syndrome. Turn to page 32 for more. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that book on our webinar on Thursday. Um, and then the following Thursday, we are going to release our new app. There's an app for that. We have an app that you can get on your smartphone or your tablet or even just your regular computer. And you can read this mood and behavior guide um, right there. It's totally free. It's, you know, we're very up to date at the ADRC. It's 2024. Um, and you can use the app to get some answers. So those are two upcoming webinars you might find really helpful. I think they're all helpful. Um, and you can find out how to sign up for that with all the information over there. Plus, I'll hang around and, and can tell you more. So there's information about research projects and our newsletter and all kinds of good stuff. And those of you who are feeling stressed out, I have some rainbow brain stress balls. The, the rainbow brains are not, or are they, modeled on my particular brain. I would like to think that I am the model for those rainbow stress balls. For those of you listening on the rain, on the radio, I have rainbow color hair. Um, and so these stress balls that I brought are also rainbow, um, mostly because they're cute. Also because when you get a PET scan for your brain, uh, it lights up in rainbow color. So we're encouraging people to get brain scans um, if they're concerned about their brain health. So man, do I have a lot more to say, but I will respect your time. So I will wrap it up. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciated spending time with you today. And I'm done. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Kelly. Next week, our speaker is going to be Reverend Latea Frazier. And she's going to, she's an ordained pastor, an activist, organizer. She's connected with the Kansas Poor People's Campaign. And that's a national call for moral revival. She's also a disability rights advocate. She's a hospital chaplain and a doctoral student. So I hope you'll join us for that because I think that'll be a very interesting presentation as well.
So we're going to take questions and answers now. Thank you very much. That was very informative. Uh, I just saw a movie yesterday called American Fiction. Yes. And in it, the uh, star, who was wonderful, it's a great movie. It is. Uh, was uh, the, one of the main themes was he had to uh, put his mother into special care, and the costs that they quoted were sometimes five or six thousand dollars a month. Yes. So, is there any effort or research? I mean, that that's an amount of money that a lot of the average person couldn't possibly pay. Yeah. So, what's happening on that point? The cost of is there some alternate ways that you can achieve the same thing, keep your uh, loved ones safe? That is a great question. I have seen American fiction. When I went to see it, I only knew the part about this author writing this book. I did not know about the Alzheimer's storyline at all. And I hope no one I work with is listening, but I will say <laughs> I went to see it on a Monday afternoon when I was supposed to be at work. Um, and so... <laughs> Anyway, once I got to the movie and the Alzheimer's part of the story unfolded, I said, work. this is totally fine. So anyway, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> and it is a great movie. I recommend it. Um, so let me actually answer your question. Uh, Long-term care in the United States is horrifically expensive. Short answer. And $5,000 to $6,000 a month is probably on the lower end of what you can expect to pay. That being said, how do people do this? Well, the truth is only about 5% of people do it. Only about 5% of people over 65 live in a long-term care facility. I have to believe it's mostly because they cannot afford it. Most people stay at home. Um, when people do live in long-term care facilities, they have several ways to pay for it. Uh, either they have unlimited supplies of money. If any of you in the room uh, agree with that, please come talk to me after today. Um, so they have their personal funds and they can pay for it. Uh, they might have long-term care insurance, which they bought at some point before the diagnosis, because once you have diagnosis of Alzheimer's, it's pretty impossible to get long-term care insurance because you might actually use it and insurance companies don't want you to actually use it. Sorry to the insurance salespeople. Um, uh, so long-term care insurance might support that. Um, and then the third option, which is what most people take, is to use Medicaid. Uh, and Medicaid is a federal program that is administered by each state. So it varies even from Kansas to Missouri. Um, but Medicaid is typically what the option is for most people for paying for long-term care. Um, it is a matter of becoming financially eligible. Um, and the standards to which many states say one must reduce themselves, honestly, to be eligible for Medicare, Medicaid um, are not necessarily realistic. You all probably can't tell I have opinions about this. I'm trying very hard to be diplomatic about it. Um, but Medicaid is the option that most people take. Is it a great option for everyone? No, it just isn't. But it's the one that we have. Um, typically, when people ask, you know, how in the world am I supposed to do this? We suggest that they talk with their state Medicaid, Medicaid office and have um, it, the name of it varies from state to state. But essentially, it's like a pre um, pre-facility evaluation to find out what does this person need? How can they best get it? Can they get it at home? Most states know that it's cheaper for the state to pay for you to live at home than it is for them to pay for you to live in long-term care. And most states have what we call waivers, Medicaid waivers, that will allow the state to pay some expenses for one's care 
at home where most of us would probably prefer to be rather than in a long-term care facility. So that's one strategy is to talk to your state Medicaid uh, entity in Kansas. It's CanCare in Missouri. It's Missouri HealthNet. Um, also talking to an elder law attorney um, if you can, if you have capacity to do that. And capacity looks different for everybody. But talking with a lawyer um, can help you get your ducks in a row, help you figure out finances and see what the next steps are. There is a much longer answer to that, but I see a couple more folks that have questions. So I'll pause for now, but I can say more at another time. All right. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you for the talk. I'm relatively new with respect to Alzheimer's, but there's a few things I'm concerned about or don't know. First of all, I'm, I'm a physical chemist, okay. so I look at the physical and the chemistry. Yes. Now, you've shown us slides of the brain, how it's changed physically. Yes. And then you tell us to eat these vegetables. That is a chemical thing. Yes. And I've read that to fight Alzheimer's, you've exercised the brain, which means you think. Yes. Now, I doubt very seriously, and you try to create things, Now I doubt very seriously if, if they know what chemicals store this information. Yes. Well, we're talking about two different things. We're talking something physical that you can see yes. and something in the chemical. Now, my question is, how does the chemical affect the physical or is it the physical that affects the chemical? Which comes first? Ah, the, uh, the horse chicken or the cart? The the right. I like the horse and the cart right. better. Right. So I just want everybody in the room listening and listening on the radio to acknowledge that this fine gentleman started off by saying, I'm a physical chemist, okay? And I at some point told you I am a social worker, so we will defer. To your knowledge about uh, physical and chemical reaction. Yeah. So the thing is, if we had the magic button that we could all press, if we said eat 32 grapes and one avocado every day for 12 weeks and all your problems would be solved, then I would be out of the job. The research, you know, the, the, these research center wouldn't have to exist. So the, the short answer to your question is we do not know. Um, this is why we were conducting research to figure it out. So far, uh, everything we've tried seems to have some positive effect. Nobody is like getting Alzheimer's more because of what we've suggested. But uh, he's coming back. The chemist is coming back. <laughs> My feeling or thought is there's a connection with what the chemistry does yeah. that affects the physical part of the brain. Yeah. And it either retains part that's disappearing because you're thinking this way. And so I don't think you know the answer. Anybody knows the answer between the physical and the, the chemical. Um, but that's something yeah. I was, my concern would be that because I am a physical chemist. Yeah, I think you're on the right. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think we cannot do any of these things in isolation. We can't just eat avocados. We can't just sit in a hot tub. I can't believe I didn't tell you about the hot tub study. We'll talk about that later. Short answer is we think hot tubs and the heat from hot tubs are good for the brain. I hope that's true. Okay. Um, but anyway, so you can't do, there's not just one thing that you can do to, for brain health. We've got to do all of this kind of in concert. The brain is the computer for your body. You can't do anything without your brain. So whatever you're doing to keep your brain healthy is also keeping your heart healthy and your insides healthy and everything. So um, do all these things that I said. Um, I'm crossing my fingers behind my back. And I promise you, to the extent that I can, that it will be beneficial for you. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, well, along the lines in a little more calmer method of discussion on it, uh, the adipose, EPA uh, initiated an adipose tissue survey, which is fatty tissue survey. Yes. And that um, my concern has been all along that there are methods like the, uh, to get the, these toxins 
into other fatty tissues via the uh, except for the blood brain barrier. Yes. And the the would you discuss the possibility or issues associated with exposure, and then also the the potential for migration of these toxins into the brain through with the alcohol because alcohol is one of the few things that can pass through the blood brain barrier. Yes. You bring up some really great points, so I will hopefully remember uh, all of them. Um, let me go back a little bit and say, I don't think I said this already. We talked about how age is not the, the button for Alzheimer's. You don't get Alzheimer's just because you're old. That being said, age is the single most important risk factor. Um, it's not necess- It's not automatic, but the older we get, the more likely we are to get Alzheimer's disease. Okay, That's just something we've seen over... Uh, since 1906, when Alzheimer's disease was first described. So age is a risk factor. Um, Gender is a risk factor. This room is somewhat unusual for me. I usually have a whole bunch of ladies and just a couple of men. This room is much more balanced, so good for you. Uh, But we do know that being female uh, is uh, associated with a higher risk of of Alzheimer's disease. And I promise I'm getting to the meat of his question. So age, we can't do anything about. Gender, we can't do anything about, generally speaking. Okay. Um, and that's changing too. That's a whole other conversation. But for right now, people who are assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth, um, that has some implications for what Alzheimer's disease might look like. Can't change age, can't change gender. We know that race and ethnicity play a role in Alzheimer's disease and members of um, non-white communities, oh, that's the shorter way to say it, are likely at higher risk. Can't change your race or eth- ethnicity. Uh, and that is as much of a socioeconomic issue as it is a genetic or biological issue. Um, and that is another conversation that we could have another time. Um, so those are some risk factors we cannot change. And I did, did I say more women? More women get Alzheimer's disease because there are more of us in the world. We outnumber men. We tend to live longer. So then that goes back to age. We also tend to go to the doctor more often. Uh, so diagnosis might happen more often. There are also some theories that estrogen uh, plays a role in Alzheimer's disease. So again, that's another reason why more more women uh, might get diagnosed. So anyway, those are things we have generally no control over. You're going to get however old you're going to get. You're going to be whatever uh, gender or sex you are. Uh, you're going to be whatever race you are. Um, so then we think about environmental concerns and the blood-brain barrier. Um, and I remember being a kid and my parents and grandparents watching 60 Minutes and thinking, this is the dullest thing I have ever seen. Why would anybody ever watch this? And now at 48 almost, I am an unrepentant 60 Minutes watcher. Um, And I get so annoyed when football goes over and then 60 Minutes doesn't come on. Um, Anyway, let me stay on the topic. A couple of weeks ago, there was a segment on 60 Minutes um, about specifically the blood-brain barrier. Um, And a neurologist, I think he was, um, was doing some really interesting research on crossing that blood-brain barrier, which we think is really one of, I keep saying, you know, we don't have a button to push. We don't have a a switch to flip. But if we can cross the blood-brain barrier and get some of those new medications in that I mentioned before, we really are going to advance the um, our ability to uh, eliminate, prevent, stop, whatever you want to call it, uh, Alzheimer's disease. So figuring out how the blood-brain barrier uh, works is going to be important. Um, age alone, gender alone, race alone do not cause Alzheimer's disease. We absolutely know that environment has some kind of effect uh, on our brain. What we are breathing, climate change, I mean, there's a whole litany of terms I could toss out at you and you all would understand. 
Um, the questioner also mentioned alcohol crossing the blood-brain barrier. In that same segment on 60 Minutes, they talked about um, using some research um, for helping people who have addictions to opioid medications um, and using that to cross the blood-brain barrier to figure out how to cure, cure the addiction. And it actually was really successful. And there's been a lot of progress on um, how that capability will lead us closer to finding that cure. So that was a good question to which I do not have a really good answer. Okay. Uh, it's my understanding that when initial assessments of dementia are made beyond the paper tests, yeah. the clinical interview, yeah. they do an MRI. Yeah. And later there's a PET scan done. Mm -hmm. And what is the difference between those two in terms of what they're looking for? Sure. Okay. I'm so glad you asked that question. These images on the screen are from an MRI. You will notice that this is black and white. And you will maybe notice um, that this is a fairly detailed image of a brain, or at least as detailed as we can get while someone is alive. Okay. Um, and we can see where spaces in the brain are enlarge, in, enlarging. Is that a word? Yeah. They're getting bigger <laughs> um, because of a disease process. Or the rainbow brain is colorful and fun, so people will stop at our table and get our materials. But also, a PET scan looks like that rainbow brain. It's colorful. It's red and yellow and green, all the colors. Um, and the difference between and the PET scan is more advanced than the MRI, which is more advanced than the CT, which is more advanced than the X-ray. Okay, so basically what it's representing is our progress over time to assess what's happening in the brain. And the PET scan is going to be more focused on what is happening in the brain that is signaling dementia, that is signaling a problem. Um, and in 2001, the answer was, the only way to know that you have Alzheimer's disease with 100% certainty is with an autopsy. And that's not recommended, okay? So fast forward a generation, 25 years, and we have technology, we have imaging that can show us pictures like these, pictures like a PET scan that show brain activity or lack thereof that is much more meaningful. I hope not very long from now, we might have something even more so that these days when we say, you know, I have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, we can be above 90, 95% accurate. But what you should know is that there is not one test. That's not enough. Alzheimer's disease is absolutely a holistic disease that requires a lot of thinking and a lot of assessing, including images, conversations with family, blood tests, urine tests, hearing and vision evaluation. We don't want just one thing. Don't let anybody tell you, well, you're 82, what did you expect? That's not. Kind of going through this with my father and diagnosed with moderate dementia and has moved into assisted living. Is there a real difference between the memory care places? Should we move him to a memory care? Is it is it worth it? And what, a second question in case you have time. You mentioned getting an elder law attorney to review your situation. Do you know anything about the AAA, the Area Agency on Aging? Could you... Well, I will answer both of those questions. How do you know? What's the difference between this facility that builds itself as assisted living or whatever, and this one that says it has a memory care unit? The answer to that is it depends. Um, a facility can designate a memory care unit, and that for that facility might mean there's a lot Like the person who's, you know, so people can't be not in the sense of getting married, but in the sense of can't wander away and get outside and get off. 
For some facilities, that's their memory care. Other facilities have some specific training for their staff about memory care. And here's the time for me to say that people who work in long-term care facilities or facilities or any facilities caring for our precious older adults are vastly overworked and underpaid. Um, that $6,000 a month that you're paying, the CNAs are not getting it. I, I don't know if they're getting it, but the people doing the direct care are not getting enough of it. Um, so it depends. Um, a memory care unit uh, standards for them vary from facility to facility. Um, like I said, it could be just a locked door. I hope for your and everybody's sake that a facility where you have your loved one is doing more than just locking the door to designate their memory care facility. They should have staff with training. They should have um, uh, activities that are meaningful for the person with dementia. They should have um, social workers on staff, and yes, I'm biased uh, as a social worker, but they sh there should be some intentionality about it. I guess it's probably the shortest version of that entry that I can get. Now, to the other part of your question about AAAs, area agencies on aging, some of my favorite agencies. Every county uh, in the country has an area agency on aging, also known as a AAA. These are your first stop in many cases for support for issues with your um, caring for your loved ones. Um, they have, remember when I told you 60 was age? Um, 60, when you're 60 or older, you are entitled to services. Oh, that does sound different. Okay. You're entitled to services from the Area Agency on Aging that look like home-delivered meals, also known as Meals on Wheels, uh, in-home services like housekeeping and help with activities of daily living, uh, eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, uh, transferring in and out of bed, showering, um, all the things that we kind of do until we can't, and then we need some extra support. Uh, transportation. And when I mentioned before, if you're thinking about long-term care placement and you have to have like an evaluation and initial assessment um, to be able to go to a long-term care facility, in many cases, the Area Agency on Aging is the organization that will lead that for you. Uh, so for those of you locally uh, in Missouri, we have Mark, the Mid-America Regional Council is the Area Agency on Aging for Jackson, Clay, Platt, Ray, Cass. Ooh, I remember them all. Counties. Uh, for Johnson County, there's the Johnson County uh, Area Agency on Aging. For Wyandotte, it's the Wyandotte Leavenworth Area Agency on Aging. If you have a way to Google, you can Google your county or your zip code uh, Area Agency on Aging, and those folks have some great, great, great resources that you're entitled to because you're 60 and you live in the county, period. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about um, Alzheimer's patients that I've, I've met is that they become very loving. But in one case, especially where the guy was a total bastard during his adult life, and then as he's gotten older, he's treated everybody just wonderfully and forgot all about being that way. Is this a behavior that you do see often? I have heard it mostly anecdotally. Uh, I have far, far, far more stories of people saying my my fill in the blank is just not the same. Um, but yes, I have heard from other folks who say, gosh, my person was just not fun to be around. And then, and then this disease happened and something changed. And we can only really attribute that, I think, to, well, I just thought of two things we can attribute that to. The change in function in the part of our brain that controls judgment and personality is... Damaged feels like too strong a word, but I can't think of a better one. But it's damaged as part of the disease process. And so people behave in ways that we might not expect. For most people that I've known with this disease, that means they go from ah, 
to, oh no, this is terrible. It appears childlike. Appears childlike. I have heard more often. Um, I have heard, like I said, anecdotally from people who say, well, gosh, my, uh, and I don't know if it means anything that it's usually men that I've heard this about, but my, my loved one used to be kind of tough to be around and now things are much calmer. And I think, so the first thing I would say is that that's something that's going on up here in the front of the brain that determines behavior. The second thing I think is going on is that maybe this is the first time for this person that they've really felt very cared for. They've had someone around to manage their activities of daily living, and they are able to to maybe settle into a place where they can relax. And maybe the part of the brain that does become, as our questioner said, uh, very childlike, maybe that part of the brain is responding. So it might be a responsive act as much as it is part of a disease process. That's just me kind of spitballing. I don't know if that's scientifically possible or not. Uh, but as a social worker, I think about things in that way a lot of the time. So that may that may be the case. People who have Alzheimer's are still themselves. They are still adults. They still deserve dignity. And we don't want to automatically go to, well, now this is my child. For some people, they would thrive on that. They would love that. For other people, and I think I might be one of them if, if this ever happens to me, please treat me like the independent adult that I was and still am. Remember, one person with Alzheimer's is one person with Alzheimer's. Thanks for listening to the All Souls Forum. And now stay tuned for Taste of Tejano coming up next, followed by Breaking Through the Darkness at 10 p.m. All right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Have a great day.